Thank you for joining us in a dialogue for the soul. Journey Ecclesia is a community and movement, a fellowship and discovery. Our desire is to dwell in soul environments while telling the love story of Jesus. To find out more about our faith community, please visit journeyecclesia.com. Welcome to the journey this morning, Journey Church. I'm Darren Tyler. I'm a elder here. I think as my first act as elder, I'm going to figure out another euphemism, euphemism for the word elder. It seems like we got every other thing is euphemized around here. We got to come up with something besides elder. It just makes me feel so old. <laughs> it's the gray hairs, really. Which that, that that's working with too many rock bands. But anyway. Um, when Jamie asked me to speak this week, it was real interesting because some of you may remember, but I had, was going to speak uh, back in August, and I had spent some time uh, working through some stuff and uh, had had some ideas and, and had, had what I really felt was a really appropriate message. I was up in Nebraska. My mother had fallen ill, and uh, we expected her to live quite a bit longer uh, and she didn't, and so I had to kind of make a last-minute call, and uh, Tim filled in for me that morning, the last minute, which I really appreciated. Uh, and so when Jamie asked this week, I thought, I wonder if maybe that was an appropriate word, because I really was pretty excited about it. Uh, and as I looked over it again, I thought, huh, this is actually more appropriate today than it was in August. So the Lord knows what he's doing uh, always does, which is good news in case you're wondering. God is smarter than you um, and me. <laughs> and when I finally figured that out, man, my life was so much easier. I'm like, oh, thank God, I don't have to like figure stuff out. But that being said, would you go with me to 1 Kings chapter 17? It's on page 314. And join me with uh, lobbying your local elected officials and congressmen in... Uh, same page. If I were elected, that would be one of my acts as president were to be to put Bibles that are all on the same page. Do you know what I mean? Is it asking that much? Seriously. We can put a man on the moon, but we can't get Bibles to be on the same page. But it's page 314. Have you felt a little uneasy this week? If you, if you haven't, maybe you haven't been watching the TV. Because <laughs> uh, there's a lot out there going on. They're using words like cataclysmic. Uh, systemic meltdown, okay? Now, in fairness, maybe that's hyperbole, uh, but the fact is, there's quite a, like, this is like a no-screwing-around kind of worldwide economic downturn, okay? Like a, the, the election is more like a sideshow to what's really going on in the world, which is uh, kind of unprecedented. There was a cover story on Fortune magazine this week, and it was titled, The $55 Trillion Time Bomb. Okay. We got some stuff to be uneasy about if you're living in this world. Do you know what I'm saying? It, it occurs to me, though, that maybe as the church, maybe as the bride of Christ, maybe as uh, God's children, that maybe that there's a different way to live. And it was fascinating when I read 1 Kings 17 because I was reminded of a guy who lived in dark times, lived in an economic downturn, lived in uh, 
a time that was sort of unprecedented for his time. It had been like 58 years since Solomon had left the scenes, okay? King Solomon, you know, Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, that dude, Song of Solomon, that guy. Favorite book in the Bible when you're in eighth grade. He'd been gone for 58 years, and the country was a shambles, okay? So bad that it actually split in two. 58 years after Solomon and the temple and the whole production with all the women, you're like, it's over. There are two kingdoms now. And it had gone through, and if you read the previous chapters leading up to what I'm about to read, what you see is this uh, king after king after king. They're wicked, they're more wicked. This guy's kind of nice, and this guy's really, you know, leading up to this moment when a guy named Ahab takes over, okay? Ahab, it says, was more wicked than any of the other kings. So that he did more to provoke the Lord than any of the other kings. He married a woman named Jezebel, okay? Jezebel's name means dunghill, okay? I think in the Message Bible that's actually translated pile of crap, but I'm not sure. You know, I'm just reading it. That's all I'm saying. Can you imagine that? Like you're going to a party and introduce your wife. <laughs> hey, this is my wife, pile of crap. Anyway. Um, but if you understand who she is, you're like, well, that's kind of appropriate. Her parents really called that one. And Ahab marries this girl, brings her back to Israel, and introduces Baal worship, okay? He, he basically says, the God of Israel is dead. We're, we're pulling the plug on that program. Our new government program is we're worshiping Baal. We're building Asherah poles, we're building temples, the whole thing, okay? This was frowned upon, okay, in God's eyes. It was not encouraged behavior. But he's doing it, and he's ripping the kingdom apart. Meanwhile, in this rugged backcountry is this guy that's being prepared. A guy that we don't really know much about his past at all. Okay? A guy that we know plenty about his future. A guy that James chapter 5 says is just like you, just like me. He says, he's a, Elijah was a man like us, just a, just a dude. But he was being prepared. It's fascinating too when you read and you learn about Elijah because seriously, all, what we know about Elijah is I think verse 1. Now, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishba in Gilead. That's pretty much it. <laughs> That's all we got. We know his future. We know that he didn't actually die. If you remember Sunday school and the flannel graphs. Some of you younger kids are like, flannel graphs? What's that? I like PowerPoint. Anyway, but he, he was taken up to heaven. He didn't die, actually, in a, in a chariot of fire, which makes me wonder if the seat was on fire, if there was some sort of a cooling system. I, I don't know. He was taken in a chariot of fire. He is going, it says, Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 says, he's coming back. Okay? When John the Baptist hit the scene, they were all like, is, he, is this it? Is this the guy? Because Malachi 4, 5 says that before the Lord, the great and terrible day of the Lord, Elijah would return. Right? And so they're all like, is it him? Is it this the guy? Send and ask if it's him. And I want you to know it wasn't, because that would be reincarnation. Okay? That's not what it says. It says Elijah will come back. It wasn't him. Uh, the Mount of Transfiguration, he makes a cameo appearance in the New Testament, right? And ultimately, someday at some point, Elijah is coming back. So we know more about his future than we even know about his past. But here's this guy, guy like us, just us, who loves the Lord so much that he goes to Ahab, the king. And it says this in verse 
1. He says, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, okay? He is not dead. He is alive, Ahab, whom I serve. There will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. And then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. It says, leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Cherith Ravine. If you've got a King James Bible, I think it's the, the brook Cherith. It's a word that uh, means cutting, a, like a, literally like surgical, like cutting. It says, go there and hide. You will drink from the brook, and I've ordered the ravens to feed you there. So he did what the Lord had told him, and he went to the Cherith Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Verse 7, it says, And then sometime later the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Elijah probably, and I don't, you know, there's no, it's, it's dangerous when you get into speculating what somebody was thinking or wasn't thinking in the word or whatever, but if you're Elijah, you're thinking, I'm going in to this guy, the wickedest wicked king. Pretty sure wickedest is not a word, but the most wicked king. To tell him, you're messing the whole thing up, okay? He wasn't doing this to get ahead in life or to get in the newspaper or to get himself in the Bible. He's just doing it because it was what was right and probably went in there with an understanding that this was probably going to be the celebrity death match between Jehovah and Baal, okay? The VH1 new series, right? Celebrity God matches. So he goes in with this understanding for his moment, all right? It's it. Waha! And he's either going to lose his head, which was really incredibly likely. Like, you know what I mean? You didn't just go into the king in that day and then spout your mouth off and walk off with your head attached to your shoulders. They'd like hang you on a pole and stuff for decoration. But he did it. And then this moment happens and then it's like, you know, you're almost like, God, okay, this would be a great time, God, for you to do something. And God's words are, run! <laughs> it's like you poke a dragon in the rear end and just run as fast as you can, you know? Because um, that's kind of what was going on here. So his big moment that he thought was the moment turns out to be run and hide at the brook, okay? The river. Now keeping in mind, we, see, we kind of romanticize a lot of this stuff in, in hindsight, right? Which is the paintings with Elijah with his arm outstretched artfully with a bird gracefully landing and giving him like a sandwich or something. But think about that for just a minute, okay? He's living in a cave down by the river. His father's words echoing in his ears. If you don't cut this prophet stuff up, you're going to be living in a cave down by the river. And here he is. <laughs> Thinking, oh man, if my dad finds this out, he's going to say, I told you so. It isn't glamorous. You know, it redefines rescue. Because he's actually okay. God is bringing ravens, which oddly enough were considered unclean. Leviticus says no to the ravens. And if you've seen that Hitchcock movie about birds, you know why. I mean, Edgar Allan Poe, you know what I'm saying? These are not good-looking birds. They're all like gross and claw-your-eyes-out kind of birds, you know? Like those kind. It, why not sparrows or doves or, you know, eagles? But no, it's ravens, okay? He's living in a cave down by the river, trusting that these ravens are going to dive bomb. Like, and it, all it says is meat. It kind of leaves that open-ended. I don't know if it was cooked, probably not. Bread, you know, I don't know where they're getting the bread, but this is his life, okay? 
And so here I am today, I'm in King Ahab's court. Next thing I know, I'm hightailing it out. And then the next morning, I wake up in a cave down by the river with birds dive-bombing bread and meat and drinking out of the river. And then that's the next day and the next day and the next. And then the days turn into weeks. The weeks turn into months. The months into years. And I bet just like you and just like me that Elijah originally, when that bird showed up every morning, was like, Okay, that's kind of gross, but cool at the same time. And here it comes again the next morning. And you're thinking the next morning, well, maybe I thought it was here by now. You know, get a little nervous. Maybe the bird ain't going to show, you know. And there he is. Oh, thank God. More raw meat and bread. Yay. And then the next day. And then eventually it becomes normal. It just becomes a normal miracle every day. You wake up and there's the bird. You go to bed, there's the bird. And there's your food, and there's your bread. It's funny and ironic when you think about it, because we live in a country that every day we wake up in, and it's a normal miracle. I wake up in a country that if, if you make more than $20,000 a year, you are richer than 95% of the people in the world, okay? I know you think you're a loser, but you're in the top 5%. Your mom be proud. This is a miracle where we woke up this morning, that this works somehow. But we tend to forget that, don't we? Because it's normal. It's just normal. Now somehow normal can't work in Uganda and it doesn't work in Russia and normal doesn't work in Indonesia, but normal works here because it's one of those normal miracles that happens every morning that we tend to take for granted. Do you know what I'm saying? So God on occasion will shake some things up because he understands my propensity. Maybe it's not you, but it is me for just kind of forgetting about stuff, right? And the propensity is for us to say, this is normal to live like this. So God on occasion will, you know, Elijah wakes up and the brook is a little lower than it was yesterday. It's kind of like the Harpeth last year. Like, huh, it's kind of odd. And the next morning it's a little lower. And it says this, though. It says that the brook dried up. Now God is still dive-bombing bread and raw meat, but the brook is dry. Okay? Now, Elijah, at some moment, because I don't know if you've been around, like I grew up in, in uh, Nebraska, okay? And the river every year would, would dry up, okay? A little bit. And then a lot of it. And it takes time. Plenty of time that if all you're doing is sitting around waiting for the bird and realizing that your water supply is getting low, realizing you can live longer without food than you can without water, there's a moment of like, huh. If I should do something here, I'm a, maybe I should be a little freaked out about this. God's continuing to provide supernaturally, but naturally, my river's gone. It's dried up. And I don't know if you've been around those rivers when they're drying, but they don't smell very good. And they're kind of gross. And occasionally, a fish didn't quite make it to the other side. And he's all rotted and gross. The drying brook. Elijah supernaturally provided for physically, naturally, all of a sudden that provision is going away. And I wonder if you could relate to that this morning. Your brook is drying up. Are you sitting beside a brook, beside a river that's drying up? Maybe your relationship that you thought, you know, young man and woman, that this was the one. He's it. He's so fine. And it's drying up. I thought this had such potential. Now I'm going to have to change my Facebook status. God, why? Do you know? 
It's drying up, this thing that I thought was it. Or maybe it's, maybe it's your job, this job that God... And maybe God provided it. God, don't lose sight of the fact that God provided this for Elijah, but all of a sudden it's drying up. But maybe your job is beginning to dry up. Maybe the relationships are going sour. Maybe your boss is a jerk. Maybe it, wasn't, it isn't the same. Maybe it's beginning to dry, dead, dying out. Maybe your popularity is drying up. You're being misunderstood. You're being looked down on. You're being talked down to, talked bad about, and it's drying up. Or maybe you live in America, and maybe your own personal economy could use some stimulating, if you know what I'm saying. Maybe it's drying up. You're like, God, you led me to Franklin. I, I'm supposed to be here. And it was great, but now why are the bills stacking up? Why is it that it isn't working like I thought, and that gig that I thought I was going to get isn't happening, and it's drying up, dying out? On a national level, no, on a global level, right now, our economies are drying up, right now, as we speak. God's miracle that He's provided in, in this country is drying up slowly and surely. And if you live this week at all in any sort of fear or panic or uh, what do I do, man, I'm glad you're here this morning because the Lord has got a word for you. And it's right here in Elijah and how he reacted, how he responded. A human being just like you and me, James 5 says, how did he respond when his economy was tanking, when his brook was drying up? What did he do? How did he respond? And the first thing you see is the guy didn't panic. And if you've got your journals, you know, if you've been around me a while, you know I'm not a one, two, three kind of guy. But I got some observations, some things that seem to stand out when you look at what Elijah did, how he responded to a real, don't get me wrong, a real live crisis. Water is gone, okay? He couldn't run down to the Tiger Mart and buy a case of water, okay? He was about to be in serious trouble. How did he respond? One, he didn't panic. He didn't freak out. He didn't leave early. I read a quote this morning that the, the market is driven, the, the market for you young men and women, if you're going to college, this will get you extra credit, is driven by two things, fear and greed. Okay, That's what the market is driven by. Funny when you cross-reference that with the biblical. And I'm going to talk more about this tomorrow night at Conduit Bible Study in detail on some things that I really think. But um, for this morning... Fear and greed is what drives the market, and fear is exactly what Elijah didn't respond to. Fear makes you react, okay? I was at the office the other night, I was getting a couple of things done, and somebody walked in at like, you know, later at night, and I didn't know they were coming. It scared the poop out of me. I was like, ah! I mean, I'm like, somebody just broke in, and I'm like, ah! Yeah. Um, because I wasn't expecting it, and my reaction was kind of embarrassing, if I'm being honest. Like, it wasn't quite little girl, but close. You know what I mean? Has that ever happened to you? Fear makes you react, okay? Reacting isn't necessarily a bad thing. Reacting to fear, bad thing. Action, good. Reaction, mm, a little tricky. He didn't react to what he saw, okay? What he did was he remembered that this fear moment, this opportunity for fear in his life 
was an opportunity for him to lean on the Lord in the middle of this provision that had dried up, this moment that God had provided for him, the supernatural, get your name in the Bible miracle, okay, was changing. God provided it. He's going a different direction. He didn't panic. He stayed by the brook until God told him to move on. It was as simple as that. And in this world right now, I, look, I don't know the answer to the financial crisis, okay? We got Dave Ramsey. We can make a call. But for me, I don't know the answer to the financial crisis, but I do know the answer to the fear crisis, okay? And that is Jesus. He is our hope. We don't have to panic. We don't have to freak out. We don't have to run. We don't have to go make something happen, to, you know, because that's really ultimately what's happening in the markets right now is everybody's like, ah, I'm going to run and sell my, you know, get all my stuff out of the market and panic. And that's exactly what's happening is an irrational fear that's driving it. And an irrational fear in your life will cause you to do things personally that get you ahead of God. You're way out in front because you're busy. You know, you didn't even look. You're like me the other night. I'm like, ah, running ahead of God. Keeping in mind that had Elijah have done that, these other miracles that were coming down the line, there was a widow at Sarapath that he was going to find that at the right moment, at the right time, not only would God save him with natural provision, he would save her with natural provision as well. Because God's miracle was bigger than what Elijah could have done on his own. Bigger than what I can think of on my own. And if you stay in that holding pattern, okay, and wait for the word of the Lord to come to you, okay, because if you notice, it says, then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, okay? He didn't go looking for the word of the Lord. This whole idea that I've got to find God's will for my wife denotes that it's hiding from you. But what if it's not? John 10, Jesus says that my sheep will hear my voice and they'll know it. Whether it's through a sermon, through a song, through you in the word, you hooking up to the vine and Jesus, you're going to know when it's time. I remember about 10 years ago, my wife and I, and Maddie, when she was about this big, was running what was, could best be termed as a fledgling booking agency, okay? And we were getting hosed, not making, I mean, I was working as a waiter on the weekends and just busting it all week long, trying to book shows for bands nobody could give a rip about. And we weren't making it. And I remember I got this call from a buddy. He said, you know, you should come down and work for this company. And it was a certain industry that really wasn't very glamorous at all. But it was going to be $35,000 a year. And I was like, oh, that's amazing. I can quit my waiter job. And, I, you know, all these things, these ideas that I had. And I could just give up because I was kind of scared. And keeping in mind, I wasn't sitting there on the floor in my face before the Lord you know, seeking. I'm not, I'm not, I'm like you, right? I'm just a guy. I'm like Elijah. I prayed about it, but I didn't know. I knew that it didn't feel right. I knew that if, if the Lord leads by peace, that there wasn't any peace in this. It looked good. It looked like a great opportunity, but I didn't have peace about it. And I didn't want to be a waiter anymore. I was getting too old. I'd been doing it for too many years, seven, eight years. I didn't think I was ever going to not be a waiter anymore. I'm like a lot of you guys, I didn't exactly have a plan B, if you know what I'm saying. Like, I was going to be in the music business, and when that wasn't working, this was like, huh, I wonder what the management training program at Macy's looks like. Like, I didn't have any other options. Like, that was it. I'm like, it was fading out. It was drying up. And my panic moment would have been to take the gig. A gig that ultimately would have meant that a phone call that I got two months after that wouldn't have come, which was, hey, we're looking for a booking agent back here in Nashville. 
at the William Morris Agency, would you be interested in taking the job? I mean, uh, yes. <laughs> but do you, you see what I'm saying? If I would have panicked and done what I wanted to do, I don't know what would have happened after that. But in the Lord's will, in the Lord's timing, that company that I was going to get my $35,000 a year gig for that I was so thrilled with went out of business six months later and the owner went to jail. And I learned a valuable lesson <laughs> in my life. And it's amazing because that's really the next thing that you want to talk about when you see what, what happened with Elijah here. Because not only did he not panic, not only did he not freak out, but he figured out this. This was an opportunity for him to be renewed in his relationship with the Lord. Okay? Because he's still got manna flowing from heaven. Okay? Every day the birds are showing up on time with the meat and the bread. Just there's no water. Natural provision gone. Spiritual provision still there. This gang right here is our manna from heaven. It's the word. And when you're spiritual provision is still available from up above, man, attach onto it like never before. And the problem with you and with me, well, with me, is that in times of prosperity, I tend to put it on cruise control. I tend to just kind of relax a little bit. I tend to be like America. They talk about the, one of the biggest problems in the American church and American Christianity is complacency. Well, of course it is. It just is. We're, we got all of our stuff taken care of. We're busy worrying about fog and stuff. Because we got, we got nothing else to worry about, right? <laughs> like, what about the fog? I don't like that song selection. You know? Why don't we have more girls singing background? I mean, we have these things going in our minds because we don't have anything else to worry about because we're fine. And so this opportunity, I think God will allow that brook, will cause that brook to dry up sometimes in our lives because it drives us back to the cross, it drives us back to Him, to renew your relationship with the Lord. I, I remember back in those days I had this bright idea that I was going to be a concert promoter, okay? This is a dumb job, by the way. I don't know if I'll tell you that at Belmont, but it is. I promote my first concert and like 2,000 people showed up. We made money. We were like, this is easy. I got to do more of this, right? And I remember the next three shows we promoted with the same band for the matter. It was like six months later. And all three of those shows were, you couldn't hear the flushing sound of these shows all the way in Nashville, okay? That's how bad they were tanking. And I remember being very much renewing my relationship with the Lord, okay? Because I was about to be renewing my relationship with bankruptcy, which I wasn't interested in. It was like, and I would go to the office in the morning, and I would, you know, be, I'd be in the Word, and I'd be, you know, back. It brought me back to Him. Now, that's embarrassing to admit that it takes that for me sometimes. But I wonder if maybe you can relate to that. That you've got to have a, a little bit of a something shake you up to drive you back to Him. Because we got it on cruise control. And I just wonder sometimes if maybe that's what the Lord is allowing in our own economy right now because you remember the day after 9-11 anybody remember Wednesday night church after that I mean Wednesday nights have never been so big in America right and then on Sunday everybody there my mom I remember calling me you know Darren is this the end I don't know Jack Van Impey's not on I can't figure out if you know is the rapture happening um, <laughs> we were packed after that and then everybody realized 
Okay, we're cool. Whew, get back to my life again. And it was back to business as usual and Christianity circa 2000. But maybe God has plans. I, I don't know. I want you to know I have no idea what's going to happen with the economy. That's not. Nobody does. That's the beauty of it. And I appreciate all the talking heads and the pundits with their opinions and stuff that they think what's going to happen. But i got a newsflash. Ain't nobody knows. Except for the Lord. And we don't have to panic. We don't have to freak out. Because it's our opportunity to, to attach and to renew our relationship with Him no matter what happens in your personal economy, in the big economy, in the, all around us. And you know, We don't have to panic. We don't have to freak out. We, we can go back to our our source of spiritual and supernatural food, which is the Word. I don't know about you, but I remember when I was doing pretty good, I, I just tend to not get to the Bible. I had stuff to do. But when I'm driven back here in the supernatural provision, I just think God allows those moments in our life. I think He allows us moments of blessing and prosperity to reward us and then he has to pull us back to the center again and maybe allow something in our lives that we didn't see coming because that puts us into a position where we're leaning on him. And the third thing that it does is not much unlike the first and the second thing here, but it, it absolutely brings you back to God. You see, Jesus, if you remember this or not, but in John 4... Jesus heads into town and he sees a Samaritan woman. The Samaritans were kind of a spunky bunch, okay? Not friends with the Jewish people at all. So when Jesus comes to town, he sees he's on the edge of town, there's a well. He sends his posse into town to get food. And he says to the woman at the well, draw water for me. And she says to him, this is in John 4, you might remember the story, but if you knew who I was... You wouldn't be asking me for water. I'm a Samaritan, you know. You, you shouldn't even be seen with me, let alone speaking with me. It's kind of like in kindergarten, you know. You have like Darren's germs, no returns kind of thing like that. That's the, the idea. They, they were grossed out by each other in those, in, in those cultures. And Jesus says, woman, which by the way, young man, don't call your wife woman. Okay, that's just, it was a cultural thing. He says to her, woman, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for a drink. Drink that if you drink from the water that I have to offer, you'd never thirst again. Elijah was remembering a, 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 this, this brook that if he drank from, he would thirst again, right? But Jesus said to this woman, if you drink from me, you'll never thirst again. Three chapters later in John 7, this amazing thing unfolds. It's the temple of... Of uh, Temple of Feasts, and they're coming, or the uh, Festival of Feasts, or Festival of Tabernacles. Wow, I've been on the road for too long. I've been hanging out with a little rock band. So, um, Jesus hauls into town, and he's kind of looking down over Jerusalem. And his disciples say, "This is the this is the big one, okay? This is the Jewish New Year feast. This is the everybody comes to town, and they would build their own little tents, okay? And it was a reminder of when they were in the wilderness, how God provided for them." And his disciples, the night before that, the seventh day of the eight-day feast, say to Jesus, Look, you should go down there. This would be a great time to get on the news. Everybody's in town. And Jesus, knowing that their hearts were not right, said, Now is not the time. 
and he sends them on ahead. And the next day, Jesus is the time. He goes. But he goes secretly and not with big fanfare. Now, follow me on this, and I'm, and I'm almost done. This feast was celebrated every day. The, the priest, one of the, the traditions was, would take a pitcher of, and he would go to the pool of Siloam. And he would walk through the streets followed by the worshipers. And he would go to the altar and he would pour the pitcher of water one a day for seven days. It was a reminder how Jesus, or how the Lord had provided water for them in the wilderness when Moses struck the rock. And every day they would do this. And it was a reminder of that. It was also on the eighth day a reminder that the Messiah had not yet come because on the eighth day they would take an empty pitcher and he would walk through the streets and he would get to the altar and they would act like they were pouring water on it. It was another year without the Messiah. Another year that it wasn't fulfilled. And it was in that festival, at that moment, in that time, when it says that Jesus was standing in the crowd and said, cried with a loud voice, Hey! Over here! I'm it! I'm Messiah. He said, if you said, come unto me, if you are thirsty, come to me, all who are thirsty. And I will give you to drink. And it says, from your bellies would flow rivers of living waters, as this he spoke of the Holy Spirit. It was in the middle of that dynamic that Jesus said to them, if you're thirsty, stop going to the old watering hole, because it's going to dry up anyway. It's not going to fulfill you. And in our lives, if it's, whether it's relationships, those things that we thirst, that we think can fill our thirst, it's our job. It's my career, if I can get this done, then it's my family. Even my family is not going to fulfill what Jesus himself said only he can do. If any man thirsts, let him come to me. You see, our job, even at Journey, is not to get you, to give you water from here. If this is where you're coming to drink, you're only going to get let down. Our job is to point you to Jesus and say, drink, he's right here. And to, all you can do is believe and drink. And he says, if you do that, that's the, that's the never thirst again water. Your job, your career, your ministry, those are all things that you can get certain levels of satisfaction from, but you will never get the fulfillment. If you're thirsty this morning, maybe, maybe you should go back to Jesus and to the well. And here's the beauty of it. When you're connected to Jesus, it's one of the pictures, one of the reasons we chose the word conduit for our little Bible study was that when that water is flowing through you, that's why you'll never thirst again because you're hooked up to the vine and that water is just going through. It's not, you're not a reservoir, you're a hose, okay? And your idea, your job, your life is spent hooked up to the faucet of Jesus spraying his love. It's a beautiful thing. That's why you never thirst again. Because you're full of water all the time. Your brook might be drying up this morning. That job, that relationship. Your economy. It might be drying up. And it might be okay. Because in those moments, instead of panicking, instead of freaking out, 
instead of doing what is the natural tendency to do, maybe we ought to sit and wait for a while with the Lord and remember that in those times of that, those times of testing and, and trying in our lives, that when we're leaning back on the Lord, that it's going to be okay. People just want to hear, is it going to be okay? And we got Susie Orman on the news talking about bread lines. Is it going to be okay? And I think that as believers, I mean, look, I work in the touring, my day job is in the touring industry, okay? I depend on people's expendable income. You know, the first thing to go in a down economy is expendable income, okay? But I can't circle the buses and pull everybody home. Because we got a message that for the first time in a long time, our country is thirsty to hear because their brook is drying up. Their safety net is gone. They need someone to say, is it going to be okay? And we can with confidence, I can't with confidence say that our economy is. I don't know. There are guys that make far more money, that dress far nicer than I do, that are paid to tell you that. But I can tell you this, and I mean it from the depth of my heart. I've lived it in the fullness of our lives, that if you define okay as leaning on the Lord in a more deep, in a more personal level than you've ever done before, if it's rejoicing in the Lord in a new and a fresh way, if it's being sheltered by the Lord in a secret and safe place, if that's your definition of okay, I got a newsflash, you're going to be okay. You just are. When we walk out of this room together today, I just want to plant a seed of hope in you. The world can absolutely crash around us and God's promises that we will be held. We will be okay. Why do these things happen? Honestly, I don't know. I love it in Job because when, <laughs> after God basically tells to Job, look, here are your friends. They said it happened because of this and that and the other. And he says to them, look, well, I appreciate your enthusiasm. You need to go sit in the corner in sackcloth and ashes and think about what you've done because you're wrong. Okay? He says to Job, this is his chance to say to Job, here's why this is happening to you. His chance to defend himself. Job doesn't even know about chapter 1. He doesn't even know that God and Satan have entered into some sort of what could kind of be deemed a cosmic bet. But he, he doesn't even know that. And God looks to Job and he doesn't say anything other than reading his resume. He said, look, Job, did you put the stars in the sky? Did you put the Leviathan in the sea? Did you hang the earth? And it's at that moment when I have to say, that's a really good point. It's at that point when I look at my two-year-old son who really, 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 really wanted cookies yesterday morning and say no, and no amount of logic could ever get him to understand why cookies at seven in the morning were not going to fly. Because his mind isn't made like mine is yet. And it reminds me of what the Word says, that God's ways are above my ways. His thoughts are above my thoughts. No wonder I can't get it. I think I'm so smart. I'm two years old and all I want is cookies for breakfast. And at some moment, I have to take the step and say, but I trust you, God. I absolutely trust you. Whatever happens, be it in your personal life, be it in your professional life, 
be it in your family life, let it drive you back to Jesus. Any man who's thirsty, come unto me, he said. And all you got to do is believe. I want to pray for you as our band comes back up. And I want to encourage you this morning that you're going to be okay. You, personally, individually, conclusively, are going to be okay. That doesn't mean that you're not going to have financial difficulties. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have health battles. It means that you're going to be leaning on the Lord. It means you're going to be relying on Him. That you can, in the middle of this craziness, can absolutely have, I've lived it out myself, a peace that passes understanding. Drink from Him this morning as we worship. Drink from Jesus. Just believe and let that living water flow into you and as you leave here today, flow out of you to those that are around you in this community. We're in a world that needs it more than ever. Hook yourself up to the faucet and let Jesus flow through you. More than ever, they're going to need it.